What a weekend it was in sports this weekend. We had football. We had a ton of great basketball, ton of big games. There's so much to get into today. Of course, we're going to get into the Heat and the Celtics. That series tipping off in just about 30 minutes as I am recording this. So if you do the math, that game starts at 4.30. I'm recording this at about 4 p.m. Mountain Time. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into what I think about that series, who I think wins, and why. We're also going to get into the Game 7 tonight. Ooh, I am pumped about this one. Game 7s are the best games in sports. Don't at me, especially in basketball. There is nothing better than a Game 7. And spoiler alert, I have absolutely no idea what is going to happen tonight. So buckle up with me as we talk about this, and I'll try to give you as best a prediction as I can on that. I cannot wait for that Game 7. So much to unpack in that series about this one game. I can't wait to get into it. We will also talk about the Lakers outing the Rockets this weekend in five. A lot of people, oh, Lakers better be worried about these Rockets. Yep, they certainly should. They out them in five, so... We'll talk about that. What that means for Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis now ascended into superstar status. I'll tell you why I think he has and more coming up there. And we will also talk about James Harden, Russell Westbrook coming short again or coming up short again, excuse me, and what I think that means for them. Mike D'Antoni obviously out in Houston. I'll tell you where I think a good fit for him to go is. So like I said, we just have a ton to get into today. So let's just get this thing started. This, of course, is Above the Rim, where we talk nothing but NBA basketball, hosted by yours truly, Tyler. So now, since I forgot to mention that in the opening, now we can finally get into our first topic of the day. And there really is no better topic to get into than the Heat and Celtics, because like I said, they start their series in just about 30 minutes here or a half an hour, however you say, it doesn't matter. So the Heat and Celtics, of course, the Celtics came out with a Game 7 win against the Raptors, and they continue to make me look bad, especially on the east side of the bracket. My God, do I look bad on the east side of the bracket. My bracket is all sorts of wacky on the east side. And the Celtics came up with that win. I predicted the Raptors to win. It didn't happen. The Celtics get it by 5, 92 to 87. It was a very, very entertaining game on Friday, but the Celtics got it done. And I got to give respect where it's due. Jason Tatum showed up. I said, you know, real stars show up in a game seven. He did that. He had 29 points, seven assists, 12 rebounds in 44 minutes, almost played 45 minutes. That is what stars do. And I know what all y'all are thinking. Hey, you said if he does it against the Raptors, you're going to catapult him to superstar Well, I mean, pump the brakes. I know what I said. I'm not catapulting him to superstar yet. He had a very good game seven, a very good game seven. He put him in company with Kobe Bryant as the only two players in the game seven, 22 years or younger, to put up those type of numbers. So congrats to Tatum. That is elite, but I still do need to see more. And when I talk about superstar status, I think that means you're at least a top 10 player. I'm not quite sure I would even put Jason Tatum in the top 10 quite yet, but he is definitely right on the outside looking in. And he pleasantly surprised me with that game seven. And he has really all playoffs 
And this is just going to be another challenge for the Celtics because the Heat, they took out the number one seed and the two-time, or what is going to be two-time reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they took him out in five. So, I mean, we have a great, I think this is going to be a great series between the Celtics and Heat. I mean, buckle up. It's probably not who you thought would be in the Eastern Conference Finals, but that's okay. That's really okay. That doesn't mean it's going to be any less good. You know what I'm saying? I think this series will be a great series. And I'm looking at the season stats here as I preview this. During the regular season, it looks like, it doesn't look like, it actually is. Boston won the regular season series 2-1, to one, so they played three times. Boston averaged 109 points to Miami's 102. With a field goal percentage, Boston was up in 45% to 42%. And the paint points, Boston was also up in in 40 to the Heat's 33. And we got to think about this. Obviously, it was three games. Boston won two of those. But I do got to say, Jimmy Butler only played in two of those. He didn't play in all three. And I'm looking at Bam Adebayo in those games. He had a 15-point average with 50% from the field and 9.7 rebounds. Jalen Brown was really the star during the regular season against the Heat with 24.7 points per game, 41% from the three-point line, and 5.7 rebounds a game. So this game, um, this series, I mean, is very interesting. I do think it's going to go the distance as as I look at it here. I really do. I do think it's going to go seven. Now, I will say I am predicting the Heat to win in seven, but at the same time, I will also say do not put any stock into it because my Eastern Conference picks have been absolutely horrendous but i just i'm picking the heat i'm rolling with the heat mainly because i love what i've seen from them i think the fact that when you beat the number one seed as handily as they did as as they just dominated them basically you have to get respect you know to be the man you gotta beat the man so the man in the eastern conference in the regular season were the Bucks and the Heat just dismantled them in five games. So I think that they have to be the favorites. And I'm looking at Jay Crowder. This is what really surprised me. In the regular season, this guy only shot 34% from the three. I told you guys in my last podcast, he's like Clay Thompson out there. All of a sudden, he can't miss. Well, he's turned that 34% in the regular season to 40% in the postseason. That's obviously been huge for the Heat and their three-point shooting. And I'm looking at Jimmy Butler in the 2020 playoffs. He's averaging 21.8 points per game, 4.2 assists, and 5.6 rebounds a game. And he's shooting 50% from the three. Who would have thunk that? I mean, really, Jimmy Butler, 50% from the three? That's incredible. And then 47% from the field. And I'm looking at his numbers versus the Celtics this year, how they compare 28 points per game and three assists, 42% from three and 53% from the field. So shot better from the field, a little lower from the three-point line, but averaged more points against the Celtics than he has in the playoffs so far. So it looks to me like the Celtics might have a little bit of a matchup problem when it comes to Jimmy Butler, just judging off of that 28.5 points per game in the regular season for him. Now, if I had to guess, I would guess that Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum will see a heavy dose on the defensive end of Jimmy Butler, or will guard Jimmy Butler, I mean, on the defensive end a lot in this series. And I think that bodes well for the Celtics. I mean, Jalen Brown's a good defender, and so is Tatum. I think Tatum might be able to bother him a little bit more. And like I said, if Tatum's, if he's a superstar, then uh, I hope he takes this challenge because it is a challenge that I'd like to see him take, especially at his age. That would speak volumes to him because Jimmy Butler is the veteran's veteran. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this guy's a dog. He's going to fight. He's going to get it out the mud. Uh, Jimmy Butler is that 
guy. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jason Tatum stacks up against him this series. And I'm looking at Tatum's numbers versus the Heat this season. Not that great. I mean, 21 points per game and only two assists. But this is what really is bothersome. Only 23% from the three against the Heat this season. That's got to be a little worrisome for the Celtics and Jason Tatum. But 40% from the field, obviously that's got to be a little worrisome as well. You want to be, a, you want him to be a little up more than 40%. But I'm looking at Tatum in the playoffs to see how that combines. 21 points per game against the Heat in the regular season versus the playoffs so far. He's averaging 25. He's averaging four assists and 10 rebounds. Now that is the shocker. Of the playoffs for me, 10 rebounds for Jason Tatum. Obviously, he has a lengthy, strong body, and he's using it inside to get rebounds, and the Celtics need him too because they are a relatively small team, all things considered, when you look at Kemba, when you look at Jalen Brown and everything of that nature. So, And also, he has 44% from the field in the playoffs and 41% from the three. So you look at the playoffs, 41% from three for Tatum versus the Heat in the regular season, only 23%. So obviously, him hitting that three-point shot is going to be huge for the Celtics in this series. I'm looking at Jalen Brown, who really balled out against the Heat this season. He has really been the star for the Celtics against the Heat this season, averaging twenty, just about 25 points per game, 40% from the three and 49% from the field. Now, this is concerning about Jalen Brown versus the Heat in the regular season. He had 40% from the three. So far in the playoffs, he's 30% from the three. So that's a that's a big drop-off. That's 10% there. That can't be good if you're the Celtics. And then Kemba Walker has been just about the exact same against the Heat and in the postseason, averaging about 19.7 points a game. So basically 20, about six assists and four rebounds. So that's what Kemba's doing. Those, those are pretty close compared to the playoffs compared to the Heat in the regular season. So his numbers are almost identical. Now, just like every big playoff series, this might come down to which best player plays better. And I'm looking at the numbers right now. Jason Tatum versus the Heat this season, like I said, 21 points per game versus Jimmy Butler versus the Celtics at 28 and a half points per game. That might be what this thing comes down to. And I wasn't really sure where to go with this pick, and I'm not real sure how confident I am, but the fact that the Heat are 8-1 and one this postseason, they took out the one seed, and just how impressive they've looked and really how disrespected Eric Spolstra is as a coach and Pat Riley is running that team. I mean, I just like the Heat in this series, and there's just nothing I can really explain to as to why because I don't think they're necessarily that much better of a team per se, but I've just watched these playoffs, and if it just makes sense to you guys, the Heat just look better. I mean, I thought that Pacers that Pacers series in the first round, I thought the Pacers were a better team than people gave them credit for. I still do. I'll still die on that rock there. I will still live with me saying the Pacers are better than people thought, and the Heat just dismantled them. And then, of course, we know that I had Milwaukee going to the finals, and then the Heat dismantled them. So I think the Heat deserve to be favorites in this series, and that's why I'm going to pick them in seven. I do think the series goes the distance. I really do. I think these teams are just evenly matched. I can just see it going seven. 
And if it goes seven, I can just see the veteran in Jimmy Butler pulling this one out and getting to the finals. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But as for tonight, even though I got the Heat winning in seven, I do think the Celtics win tonight. Obviously, they just played a game seven. They played a highly contested game. The Heat haven't played in a minute, it seems like. So I think they'll come out a little rusty, a little slow. So I expect the Celtics to kind of jump on them a little early here. And we'll see what happens from there. But I expect the Celtics to win game one. If I had to pick a final score, I would go 105-99 Boston in game one. I think it's a close one, but I do think Boston pulls it out, mainly because the Heat have been resting. So Boston gets game one, in my opinion, but then the Heat get the series overall in seven, in my opinion, and move on to the finals for the first time since they had the big three in LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. Now, like I said, I know it may not be the two teams everyone thought would be in the Eastern Conference Finals, but that is not going to take away how good this series is going to be. I truly believe this is going to be a great series, so we should all be excited about that, and we should all buckle up for that one. But now, with that out of the way, we got to get on to the other game tonight, and it is a doozy. Game 7, Nuggets Clippers. Who would have thought we'd be here, man? I mean, really. When the Nuggets were down 3-1, I did not think they were going to be here. I thought they were going to get blown out in Game 5, and that would be the end of it. But the Clippers continue leaving me scratching my head. I mean, you look at this team on paper. They should be the best team in the NBA. Now, they should be. They should be. It doesn't mean they are. And I know a lot of people this year have anointed them that exact title the best team in the nba the championship favorites but they have not done one thing to deserve it all year all through the regular season they took the regular season lightly and all i heard was wait for the playoffs and the playoffs got here and now clippers stands have nothing but excuses for the clippers and why they're struggling there is no excuse other than the fact that this team just admit it they were a little full of themselves they are a little full of themselves for some reason, they all think that they're champions already because they got Kawhi. And suddenly, they all believe they're champions. Pat Bev is flapping his mouth all the time. Paul George is flapping his mouth. And we're going to get into Paul George here. I mean, really? You want to say you're in the driver's seat after game six? Bruh, you were up 3-1. You've dropped two in a row where you've been leading by 16 or more in the second half. How in the hell do you think you're in the driver's seat? No, it looks to me like you're choking. Now, although Paul George did have a good game last game, as I look back at my stats here, he had 33.6 rebounds. But what's head-scratching to me is that's a good game for Paul George. But look at his plus-minus. Minus 23 in the plus-minus category for game six for Paul George. After that big performance, I mean... I don't want to say playoff P, but playoff P, baby. There he is. Now, Kawhi Leonard only finished with 25 points and eight rebounds in game six. Obviously, Kawhi's got to play better. I did not know until I heard this, and this is a head scratcher because everyone's been telling me, Kawhi, oh, he's better than LeBron. Kawhi got next. If he wins this year, he's a top five player all time. Well, would you know that Kawhi Leonard Mr. Automatic from mid-range, and I'll even admit that, Mr. Robotic from mid-range doesn't miss. He's only shot over 50% twice in this series. 
Now, I don't know what it was, but I looked at game six. He missed a lot of bunnies, a lot of shots he normally makes. And I take it back to what I've said before on this podcast. They're playing every other day. There is no load managing. Kawhi's playing 40-plus minutes every other day. And all I've heard about is his knees and how weak they are, how fragile they are. And I brought it up on my podcast a while ago when they were playing the Mavericks. I said, how long is his body going to hold up playing like this? Because, you know, in a regular playoffs between series, you might get three, four days off. But they're not doing that this year. It is every other day, and you better be ready to play. And I had questions before the playoffs started about how well Kawhi's health would manage because we all know he likes to load manage because of his health. And so far right now, I mean, they haven't said anything, but I'm noticing he's not playing the same type of defense as he usually does. And I noticed last game he was missing a lot of shots that he normally makes. So that is concerning for the Clippers. And really... Kawhi Leonard, you want to be mentioned in the same breath as LeBron James? Well, all the pressure tonight is on you. For the first time in Kawhi Leonard's career, he will be feeling the type of pressure that LeBron James has felt since he was an 18-year-old high school kid. Now, I know he played in the finals with the Spurs against the Heat, but guess what? He did not have any pressure. He was still a baby. LeBron James, when he played for the Heat in those series, has had all the pressure all the time, every game. And now with the Raptors last year, you might think he had some pressure. Yeah, you could say that, but when KD goes down and then Clay goes down, and then before that, nobody was expecting you to win anyway. So is there really pressure there? No. Kawhi Leonard has never faced the type of pressure he is facing tonight. And I am excited to see how he responds because if he really is better than LeBron, I want to remind you all that LeBron James, statistically, by the numbers, is the best Game 7 performer in NBA history. And if you're telling me Kawhi is better than LeBron, well, then I expect nothing less than a great, great game by Kawhi. One of those games where the Nuggets just look at him and say, you know what, you're just too good. And if he doesn't deliver, when it comes to him and LeBron James, when it comes to the comparison, just zip it. Really. Just zip it. We'll see what he does tonight, and then my guess is Kawhi is a gamer. I'm going to guess that he has a big night tonight, but I'm only guessing that because he better have a big game tonight. Otherwise, that LeBron James comparison does not look very good at all. And I told you when this podcast started, I have no idea where this game's going to go. And a big part of that is because I feel like I know what I'm going to get from Kawhi, and I think it's going to be 30-plus points. I would even maybe go 35-plus points from Kawhi. But I really don't know what I'm going to get from Paul George. I really don't. I mean, I'm looking at his last closeout games. They're not good. I mean, there's like... A bunch of three for 17s, a bunch of two for 16s in there. They are not good when he is in a closeout situation, which is why I found it shocking that him, of all people, continues to say that the Clippers are in the driver's seat in this series. I mean, I th- 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 that's just another example of this team just being totally full of themselves. You have lost two games in which you could have put the team away. You decided not to. You decided to play around. 
And now here you are, and you still think you're in the driver's seat. I'm watching that game. I'm watching that game six on Sunday as I'm flipping through football too, of course, but I'm mainly focused on that game six on Sunday. And what I saw was a lot of bad body language from the Clippers and a lot of great body language from the Nuggets. That's what I saw. I saw a lot of Clippers hanging their head down, a lot of Clippers in the huddle looking around like, you know, damn, are, are, are we what we thought we were? Are we what everyone says we are? Because everyone has anointed us this great team and we have not earned it. And this is a thing that worries me about the Clippers because we're talking about Game 7s. This is the Jamal Murray's and Nikola Jokic's fourth Game 7 in the last two years. Game 7s really come down to two things. Who's the best player on the court and what team has better chemistry? And I'm looking at the Clippers right now, and you all, you all can label me a Clipper hater. I don't care. You can ignore the red flags, man. You can ignore the red flag just like you do in life in a relationship. You can ignore the red flags, but if you do that, it's bound to crash and fall. And I'm just saying, how many red flags do you need to see from the Clippers to show you that this just may not be a championship caliber team? You're talking about giving up two 16-point leads. Actually, in Game 6, it was a 19-point lead in the third quarter. And then in Game 5, it was a 16-point lead in the third quarter that the Clippers gave up to lose those games. So you can look at these red flags and think what you want. But I'm thinking right now that championship teams don't do that, folks. Championship teams don't give up 16-point leads in the second half of a playoff game, in a closeout game. They don't do that. There's something deeper going on with the Clippers here, and I think it has a lot to do with chemistry, and I think it just has a lot to do with the fact that they have not taken this season seriously at all. They just haven't, and at some point, that comes back to bite you. And right now, it might be against the Nuggets. It might not. I still think the Clippers beat the Nuggets tonight. I do, because I think they're a better team. But would I be surprised if they don't? No, I wouldn't, because this is who they've been all year. And it's only Clippers stands and people that have picked the Clippers that have tried to convince you otherwise. They try to convince you that this is a great team without them actually ever showing it. And that's the problem. And also a big problem is this whole team's only played about, what is it, like we're up to like in the 20s of total games together now. That's a problem. That's a problem. And people have continuously chosen to ignore it because Kawhi Leonard is just the taste of the year. He's the taste of the month because he won last year. So everyone thinks that Kawhi's got it no matter what. I've, I've heard he's Kawhi Jordan, baby. He, he got game that reminds me of Jordan. Well, I'll tell you what, Jordan wouldn't lose this game tonight. So all the pressure is on Kawhi tonight. And also, I'm looking at this series. The Clippers have major problems with their six men. I mean, that, that that was a major strength all year from them, but they got problems with their six men. Lou Williams has not played well this whole playoffs. He's not. And I have a theory on that, and my theory is that teams know that he doesn't play very good defense, so what are they doing? They're attacking him and picking rolls, so what's that doing to his offense? He's got no energy on the offensive end. He's got no legs because teams are attacking him on the pick and roll over and over and over again, and it's leading to offensive struggles for Lou Will. And also, really, it's just too much isolation basketball from the Clippers. I mean, Doc Rivers has got to get the ball moving. It is. 
I'm watching Kawhi, and Kawhi's great, yes. And this is the problem when you become so great because I see it with Kawhi, I see it with KD, and I see it with LeBron. Teammates give you the ball, and they get out of the way, and there's no movement, and everyone's just standing there watching you go to work. That's what it is, and that's what the Clippers' offense is a lot of the time. It is give the ball to Kawhi, get out of the way, and just stand and watch. That's not going to get it done in this series or in the next, even if they move on. It's not going to get it done against the Lakers. This team's got to get back to who they were. And speaking of the problems of the six men, Montrez Harrell is really a problem right now. Okay? He really is. Ever since the death of his grandma and he left the bubble, he has not been the same. Harold averaged 20 points in the regular season. Would you believe that he's only at nine points in the postseason? That is an 11-point drop. An 11-point drop. And let's not even, let's just get into his defense here. When guarded by Harold, Jokic is scoring at 64% from the field. So in other words, Montrez Harold needs to start bringing a notebook to these games because Jokic is schooling him in every which way possible. Every which way. Jokic is schooling him. Shooting 64% from the field with Harold on him. Really? Really? I mean, Harold, come on, dude. You got the reputation of being a dog, being physical, being a physical dog. That's what your reputation is. And Jokic is taking you to the woodshed, man. He is dominating you in this series. So much so that the Nuggets outscored the Clippers in Game 5 and Game 6 by 30 points when Harrell was in the game at the same time as Jokic. That's not good. You can paint that any way you want, and however you paint it, you come up with one result, baby, and that is, that's not good. <laughs> that is not good. That is not what you want for your sixth man of the year. And I'm looking at Doc Rivers. He only played Harold 15 minutes in game six. That tells me Doc Rivers is losing faith and hope in Montrez Harold. We talked about it in the regular season. Oh, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, and Lou Williams, Pat Bev, and Montrez Harrell, you know, they're going to be getting like 40 minutes. Even though Montrez and Lou Williams come off the bench, they're still going to get starters minutes. Well, that hasn't happened. And Doc Rivers, I don't think, is sold on Montrez Harrell. He's definitely not sold on his defense because Jokic is giving it to him every single night. And it's a problem. It is a problem. I told you guys that the Clippers have tried to turn on the switch And what happened in Game 6 and Game 5 is the Nuggets brought on a flurry, a flurry, a blizzard. And the Clippers waited until then to try to flip the switch, only to find out, hey, you know what? There's no power in this place. There's no power in here. That is what they've tried to do. They've tried to flip the switch the last two times, only to find out that they don't have any power. Folks. Championship teams have to have an identity. And I ask you, from what you've seen in these playoffs, what exactly is the Clippers' identity? Because all year we thought it was defense, but can you say that anymore? Luka Doncic had his way with this team. He scored at will. He did whatever he wanted to do. So much so, Marcus Morris had to take a beeline and try to injure his ankle. That's how much Luka was doing against this team. 
And then you look at this series, the last two closeout games, giving up 16-point leads. So I ask you, is this team's identity really on the defensive end? Because they have not shown it. So I ask you, what is their identity? And then I'll ask you after that. When's the last time you've seen someone or a team win a championship without an identity? What can the Clippers really hang their hat on? That's the big question here. What, if anything, can they hang their hat on? And so far, it seems to them to just be dump it to Kawhi and let him go to work. And we'll hang our hat on that. And that's all fine and dandy when he's hitting. But he's human. He's going to have struggles. Okay? He's going to have struggles. So what do you do in that situation? What's your plan B? Can you rely on playoff P tonight? I don't think so. I'm not going to. He may. He's capable. Sure. But are you relying on him? I'm not. Are you relying on Patrick Beverly? Look, Patrick Beverly's a nice player. But no, he leads the league in trash talk. But he doesn't really do a whole lot. I'm, I'm looking at him. He's fouling a lot. And then he, he he's complaining about Luka and the Joker saying that they're always flailing. And then you watch a game and it's like all Patrick Beverly does is flop and flail. So what is he talking about? I don't know. Are you going to rely on him? He had two points last game in 18 minutes. I think it was 18 minutes. He fouled out, I think. I mean, can you really rely on that? I don't know. And now human nature, doubt is human nature, and human nature does creep in. The Clippers are now 0-7 in their last seven attempts to make a conference final. Now, I know things are different now. I know they got Kawhi, and Kawhi's that guy, and they got Paul George, and they got Doc Rivers and all that. But all I'm saying is human nature is human nature, man. At some point, that doubt has got to creep into this team. And when Paul George said that they were in the driver's seat, and I do think they're going to win. I'm going to put that on record right now. I think they win tonight. But when Paul George said that they're still in the driver's seat after that abysmal collapse in game six. The first thing I thought of was, man, this guy's, they're they're really trying to convince themselves that they are what they haven't shown. They're really trying to convince themselves that they are that team. So we'll see what happens tonight, but enough about the Clippers. We got to go on about the Nuggets here because this team is just so damn fun to watch. And even though I think the Clippers have collapsed, I think it's a fair balance between them collapsing and the Nuggets just playing fantastically. I mean, Jokic, what can you say about this guy? Look at game six, 34 points, seven assists, 14 rebounds. That is like a LeBron James playoff game. I mean, really. Jokic did that. Jokic has cemented himself as the best center in the NBA. I do not want to hear about Joel Embiid anymore. The best players show up in the playoffs. Joel's at home right now. Joel hasn't played well in the playoffs. He hasn't reached that step. He hasn't led his team. He still has immaturity issues. Jokic does not. And Jokic balled out. And we need to also talk about Michael Porter Jr., He got a lot of hate for those comments, man, and I get it. I agreed with his comments, though. I really did, but I agree with the hate that he got as well because he's a rookie, 
You don't need to, you don't, you don't say that as a rookie publicly to the media. But ever since then, this guy has made some big shots. I think he scored seven points in the final minute of game five, and those were his only points. And you look at that, and it's like, damn. Damn. How do you, how do you respond from criticism? That is how you respond from criticism. Then you're looking at game six. He had some timely shots in that game as well. And he's showing up, and Mike Malone is showing his faith in Porter Jr. Porter Jr. had 13 points in game six and seven rebounds. Now, one thing I like from him, he's committing to the defensive end, and that's why you're seeing Mike Malone give him more minutes and give him the minutes down the stretch of games when it really counts. That's why you're seeing Mike Malone do that. And speaking of Mike Malone, I got to give credit where it's due, and I got to tell you guys when I am wrong, and I was wrong about Mike Malone. In the first series against the Jazz, I was wondering about his job security and where that should land. Now I am not. He has proven to me he has made the right adjustments. He's made more adjustments than Doc Rivers and better adjustments than Doc Rivers. And not only that, even in the eye of possibly a black hole, down 3-1 twice, he has gotten his team to respond when Doc Rivers can't even get his team to try to close out a series. He deserves credit, and I got to be the first to tell you I was wrong about Mike Malone. He's proving his coaching medal, and I love what he's doing with this team. I love his connection with his star players, and I love that he's giving Porter Jr. a chance to go finally because I've always felt, and you've always heard me say, if a player is a big part of your foundation, if he's a big part of your core, you've got to keep him in in the most important moments. You just got to live and die with the good and the bad, baby. That's what you got to do. And Mike Malone's doing that, and I got nothing but respect for Mike Malone. And I got to tell you, I was wrong. Did you know the Nuggets have won five consecutive elimination games in these playoffs? That's amazing. And if they make it six tonight, that is unheard of. This Nugget team is on the precipice of making history. And that's why I brought up the Clippers body language last game because their heads were down. But what did you notice from the Nuggets? They feel really good about themselves. They really do. And even though I'm picking the Clippers in this series, this series kind of has a eerily similar tone to the 2016 finals between the Cavs and the Warriors when the Warriors jumped out to the 3 to 1 lead. It has that same type of tone. And why I say that is because the Warriors, were they the better team? Yes, probably. But what was their one flaw? What was it? They had no answer for LeBron James. What's the flaw right now for the Clippers? They have no answer for Jokic. None. And it just it, it just has that same type of feel to it. I mean, we're going into game seven. The Nuggets are feeling great. And the Clippers, from their body language last game, they're not feeling great. So now I am picking Clippers. And I'll tell you mainly because I think it's because they're the better team and I'll hang with it. But they're in danger tonight. I really think so. This Nugget team's not going to back down without a fight. They've shown that. And the main reason why I'm picking the Clippers is I think Kawhi Leonard will show up tonight, and I think he'll be the best player on the floor. And if you look at historically, Game 7s come down to who is the best player on the floor. So when you look at that, historically, what's the key for the Nuggets tonight? 
Nikola Jokic has got to be the best player on the floor for them to win. And the same with the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard has got to be the best player on the floor for them to win. It is going to be an interesting night. I obviously cannot wait. I am beside myself excited. We're about two hours away from that tip-off. I cannot wait one single bit. I hope you guys are just as excited as I am for this Game 7 because it is one of the most interesting Game 7s I can remember in recent history for sure. Now, if I had to pick a final score tonight, I'll go the Los Angeles Clippers win, and I'll say they win 106 to 97. They get a nine-point victory. That's what I'm going with tonight, although I don't really know how I feel about it. I really wouldn't be surprised any way this game goes, and I don't know how it's going to go. That's just my pick for tonight. And now, Speaking of Los Angeles, there was a Los Angeles team this past weekend that made it to the conference finals, so they are going right on cue with their expectations up to this point, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. Of course, they beat the Houston Rockets, and they just really dominated the Houston Rockets. And we'll get into the Rockets side of things a little bit later here as I look for what the final score was. A final score was 119 to 96. So obviously the Lakers with a big time victory and they really dominated from the beginning. And that's because the Rockets looked like they just quit. I mean, they really did. They really did. I mean, LeBron James, when when you win 119 to 96 and LeBron's only playing 31 minutes, something went obviously very right for the Lakers. And it did. I'm looking at them. They had one, two, three, four, five, six players in double figures in that game five. And then Rajon Rondo, we got to talk about this guy for a minute here before we get into other things. Playoff Rondo is the real thing. This guy always plays his best when the playoffs come on. In the regular season, you're always you're often left wondering where he is, where he's at, why he, he isn't affecting the game. But in the playoffs, no, you don't have those questions at all. Not one single bit. And I'm looking at him right now in these playoffs. He's averaging 12.5 points per game and 7.5 assists. That's up from the regular season where he only averaged 7 points per game and 5 assists a game. So if you don't think playoff Rondo is the real thing, then I don't know what you're watching because he's shown it time and time again that he is the real deal and the Lakers have something there. Now I do also want to mention one other Lakers player because – there's been a lot made, and I've made a lot of it, of them having a third star, and they don't. And Frank Vogel was exactly right when he said, we don't have a third star. We have guys step up and contribute, and we have a different third star every night. And we've seen it with Morris. We've seen it with Rondo. We saw it with Caruso in Game 4 with his career-high 16 points. And then, you know, we we just continue to see. It. And then Kuzma can do it sometimes, too. I'm looking at last game. Kuzma had 17 points. So Kuzma can do it. But it is really a revolving door when it comes around that third score for the Lakers and that third option and that third star. So maybe it doesn't have to be Kuzma. Maybe if they just keep that revolving door going around, then that's good for them. Now we got to move on to LeBron, obviously. I mean, come on. 
what can you say about these playoffs? 26.6 points per game, 8.8 assists, and 10.3 rebounds, 55% from the field, and 37% from the three. Obviously, before last game, he was a lot higher from the three, one of the highest in his career, but he did let a lot of three bombs go the other night, mainly because they were up by a lot of points, I imagine. And then I'm looking at AD. He's got 27.6 points per game, four assists a game, and 10.9 rebounds a game, off 58% from the field, 39% from the three. He's obviously having a big playoff, and you see why LeBron James wanted this guy to come to the Lakers. You really do. And Anthony Davis, to me, he's ascended to superstarness. If there were ever any questions about how he'd play in the playoffs, they need to be abolished. They need to be expunged because they're just wrong. His 22 career playoff games, Anthony Davis is averaging 30 points, 12 rebounds off of 55% from the field. If those are not superstar numbers, then I have no freaking clue what is. That is spectacular from Anthony Davis. He's giving the Lakers everything that I thought he would. And LeBron James looks certainly very happy to have him. And I'm going to talk about one thing for the Lakers that not a lot of people do. And that is LeBron James's defense. Now, I know last year it was popular. He doesn't play defense. He's not invested. He's done. He's washed. He doesn't care about the defensive end. And this is where I respect Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis made it clear from the start when he got there. He said, I told LeBron, if you want me here, then I am going to challenge you on the defensive end. And he can do that. When you're defensive player of the year finalist, you can challenge people on the defensive end. And that's what he's done. And LeBron James has responded. That series against the Rockets was some of the best defense I've seen LeBron in his whole career. Yes, I said it. It was some of the best defense I've seen from LeBron in his whole career. He's been invested on the defensive end all season, and so have the Lakers. And when I asked you what the Clippers' identity is, and we don't know, we know what the Lakers' identity is. Yes, they have LeBron. Yes, they have AD, two of the most talented players in the NBA. LeBron obviously being the best player in the NBA. You can put Davis wherever you want, but he's more than likely in the top five, I would think, right? I mean, he's more than likely in the top five. Either way, though, the Lakers have committed a defensive end, and that is their identity. It is their defense. That is what the Lakers hang their hat on. So good on them and good on Frank Vogel. He's coaching this team up. Him and LeBron have gotten along a lot better than I might have suspected at the beginning of the year, and they seem to have a good rapport, a good relationship. So the Lakers look to be in a good business here, waiting for the winner of the Clippers and the Nuggets on Friday night, and we'll see what happens there. But Lakers are where I expected them to be. They're looking like the best team in the NBA. Let's just call it what it is. You may think the Clippers, you may still have the Clippers, but you cannot lie by your eyes so far this postseason. The Lakers look like the better team. So they move on, but now we got to talk about the losers here for a second, and that's the Rockets. That's James Harden and Russ. James Harden had a good game six. He did. I think he put up over 30. I'm going to look at the stats here real quick. Let's see what he did. He had a good game six. He 30 points in game five, excuse me. But really, game four is where you got to look at for Harden to be troublesome. I mean, two of 11. And we've seen that a lot. It's not a blip anymore. We've seen it multiple times. It has become a trend 
not a blip. And really, for me, for James Harden, he's got to change the way he plays. I'm watching him. He is so ineffective unless he has the ball in his hands. He's got to find a way to play off ball. Like, when's the last time you saw James Harden get a pass from somebody at the three, spot up and shoot? Really? I mean, I want you to think about it. When is the last time you've seen that? You don't. And it's a thing he needs to add to his game. You're not always going to be able to dribble it 40 times and create a shot out of it. Also, it shoots your legs. It's not a good strategy. It's not. And I think he needs to learn how to play off the ball a little bit better because when he's off the ball, he's non-existent. You can't even tell he's out there. He just stands there, and he doesn't even stand at the three acting like he's going to shoot. He stands about three to four feet behind the three where he's not even a threat. That's a problem. And another thing that's a problem with James Harden is the body language. Too many times I've sat back and watched this, this great offensive talent, one of the greatest we've ever had in this league. Too many times I've sat back and watched him and just thought in my head, he's quit. And game five against the Lakers was another one of those nights. It was another one of those nights where I looked at him and I had that thought where just the body language is off. Everything is just off. And that's what he does. He's not a great leader. He's not. But that's what makes him so difficult because he has to have the ball in his hands like he is the leader. So what do you do with him if you're Houston? I don't know, but he needs to change the way he plays fundamentally. Kobe Bryant was right. You can't win a championship like that. And it's been proven time and time, year after year. So how much is it going to take for him to actually change his game? Now, we have to move on to his buddy Russ. Now, I think that this game was a bigger hit on Russ's legacy than Harden's because although I was critical of Harden, I will say he had 30 points in that game five. And I will also say I've seen Harden get to a conference final without Kevin Durant. I can't say the same about Westbrook. And if you follow me on my Facebook, I posted that night when the Rockets lost Saturday night. I said, James Harden just found out how hard it is to win with Russell Westbrook as his co-star in the playoffs. And I even said, I cannot even blame KD for leaving OKC anymore because he left for one reason. And it became clear this year. Really, it should have been clear for the last three years, but it became clear this year. Russell Westbrook's the reason why he left. You can't win with him. He's too inefficient. He turns the ball over too much. He doesn't play with a good pace. He certainly doesn't control the pace of the game. And when you add all those things up, it's it, it's a disaster in the playoffs. And we've seen it time and time again. We have seen it time and time again from Westbrook. Let's look at his numbers here. 10 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists. 36 minutes, 10 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists. In a closeout game. And then to top it all off, he's arguing with people in the stands when there's only like 10 people in the stands. I mean, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I get the triple doubles. I get all of that. I get it. Russell Westbrook might not even be a top 10 player in this league. And I don't hesitate when I say that. I really don't. 
I do not hesitate when I say that because the top 10 players in this league win in the postseason and Russell Westbrook does not win in the postseason. So what's that say? That's why I say this was a bigger hit on his legacy than James Harden because we've seen James Harden have success without KD, without Russ. We've seen him have a lot get to the conference finals, challenge the Warriors, get to the second round at least. We haven't seen any of that from Westbrook, so he deserves a lot of criticism, and rightfully so. Now, if you're the Rockets, you're in trouble because you can't trade him. He makes too much money. Nobody wants him, so you're going to have to find a way to reconstruct the team, but the Rockets are not left in great hands right now. They are not. They do not have a lot of options, and that's exactly why you saw Mike D'Antoni decline to come back next season. He knows this team's out of options. Daryl Morey has suspended everything to try to get this team in the championship to be title contenders. And in doing so, they have nothing left. They have no assets, nothing they can trade to get off of people. I mean, they're in a bad spot. And even Mike D'Antoni, of all people, knows it. That's why he left. And this is where we'll end the show today. So where would a good fit be for Mike D'Antoni? I'm just going to tell you what I think here. And the fit is clear to me, and it's the Pelicans. I think Mike D'Antoni to the Pelicans would be fantastic, not only for Mike D'Antoni, but for the Pelicans, and mainly Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson. We know Zion Williamson is major athletic. I can only imagine him in a Mike D'Antoni offense running up and down the floor. That's obviously what you want to do if you're the Pelicans. It would be absolutely box office. But also for Lonzo Ball, it would be fantastic. I think, look, Mike D'Antoni's a player's coach. Players have career years under Mike D'Antoni. James Harden did. Steve Nash did. And hell, even Jeremy Lin did. Yeah, for those of you that forgot about Jeremy Lin, he had a great run with Mike D'Antoni. And it's because of Mike D'Antoni's system and the way he teaches and develops these players in his system. So I think it would work wonders for Lonzo Ball. I think it'd be a way to get him on track. And if I'm David Griffin, general manager of the Pelicans, I am taking a hard look, a hard look at Mike D'Antoni. And if I'm Mike D'Antoni, Indiana sounds nice. I know he's rumored to be maybe interested in Indiana. Indiana sounds nice. They do. They really do. But really, I mean, who do they got? I mean, Victor Oladipo is going to leave this year. You're going to go with people like Malcolm Brogdon? You're going to go with that over Zion Williamson? Brandon Ingram? I mean, this is a no-brainer if I'm Mike D'Antoni. And if I'm the Pelicans, it is also a no-brainer. I would love to see Mike D'Antoni end up in New Orleans. I think it's a great fit. I think Zion would love it. New Orleans would love it. D'Antoni would love it. The NBA would love it. Us viewers of the NBA would love it, clearly. But like I said, that is where we will end the show. That's what I think about Mike D'Antoni, of course. Like I said, today is Tuesday, September 15th. Time is flying Game 7 tonight, we got Game 1, the Celtics and the Heat. We got a lot of good things going on tonight. And thank you for listening in. If you like the podcast, give it a follow on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and share it around with all of your friends that love basketball as well. That would be greatly appreciated. And really, all of the positive feedback so far has been amazing and greatly appreciated. But with that... 
I hope you enjoy your hoops tonight, and we will see you next time.